On Cinema Smorgasbord presents How Do You Do, Fellow Kids, we discuss the life and film career of the always unique character actor, Steve Buscemi. On this episode, we're talking about Jeff Goldblum and Cindy Lauper and this psychic-themed adventure comedy, Vibes, from 1988. Welcome to How Do You Do, Fellow Kids. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as usual is our own Miss Cleo, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? Oh my god, Miss Cleo. Way to tap into some really fucking latent memories from me. <laughs> Did you ever see, wasn't there a documentary about Miss Cleo? Did that exist? Am I making that up? I believe there was a documentary in the last couple of years about Miss Cleo. I did not watch it, uh, but I do certainly remember, for those listening who don't remember, Miss Cleo was the uh, feature participant in an infomercial, or at least a series of commercials, for like a psychic hotline that it, maybe was in the mid-90s or so, probably around that time period. Yeah, and it was one of those... <sighs> It's hard to explain. I mean, I mean, I don't think we have that many younger listeners, but in case we do. We don't have any that many listeners generally. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> it's hard to explain the ways that certain commercials would, like, pummel you. You yes. know, like, there, there were definitely unique commercials, too, but there would be certain commercials that you felt like were on a constant rewind. And even if you tried to like mute your tv or whatever it was they would get into your your consciousness and uh 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 miss cleo was one of those commercials that i felt like oh god here we go this person again but i didn't know any it's i think it's also interesting for people because we saw those commercials but then also who knew anything about who she was right like i other than knowing those commercials i couldn't tell you the first fucking thing about her you know well she was psychic i knew that liam well i sure yeah i believe it (laughs) I remember another thing. I think it's from one of the Miss Cleo commercials where this woman was being asked, like she, she had talked to Miss Cleo and Miss Cleo that told her a bunch of shit. And she said, um, she said that she was moving to Tallahassee and she was the person like, did she say Tallahassee? And she was like, she said Tallahassee. And that's a line that I remember from it. You're right. These things <laughs> did enter our consciousness because they just played on television all the time. And there weren't that many options in terms of entertainment. So there's an expectation that everyone knew who these fucking people were like the blue blockers guy. Remember the blue blockers guy, Liam? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Here's, here's one. Here's one that I think will, will maybe blow your mind. Right. Do you remember uh, the, uh, speaking of uh, recent movies in the infinity pool? Do you remember the infinity pool? I have not seen it, but certainly I'm aware of it. The yeah. Cronenberg's film. No, but I mean the commercial for the, for the product infinity pool. Oh no! Oh, you mean like like an infinity pool? Anyway, it's tell a, me more. It's a pool you get into that shoots water, so that then you can do you can like swim laps in place because it shoots yes, water at you. Absolutely. Yeah. So I got hired a little while after college to work like a like a specialty construction gig, right? And I didn't know anything about construction, but it was friends of my parents, and I needed money. So I went and worked with this dude, and about <laughs> a month into working on this house, I found out that the people who own the house and it was this really old classic house in Wayne PA like hundreds of year old house that they were fucking gutting to put in a bunch of gaudy bullshit right Uh and uh and the people who owned the house the dude had invented and was the owner of the infinity pool like he was the guy and when I found out not only all this weird shit in the house in the basement they were putting in an infinity pool but then in the yard they were going to put in an infinity pool that was the size of a normal pool so oh. you could just swim in it like a normal pool, but then it would shoot water at you so you could do the infinity pool thing. And I was like, this is the dumbest shit I ever heard in my life. Like, this guy seems like a real asshole. And uh, he spent thousands of dollars moving a giant tree from the front of the yard to the back of the yard because he just didn't like where it was. So, you know, moving a giant old tree without it dying is, like, really fucking hard. And it cost him, like, $20,000 to move this immense tree. And then it died anyway. And I thought that was funny. Uh, listeners, this is our first Cinema Smorgasbord recording of 2024. There's already been one episode released uh, for 2024, but that was actually recorded before Christmas. Mm. Uh, Liam, how was your holiday break? It's you know it's fine. How was how was Christmas generally for you? I know you're not a big Christmas guy. You hate it. You uh, dislike the whole concept. Elf on the Shelf. Go fuck yourself. I mean, I don't like Elf on the Shelf, but I Me actually. Either. 
I like Christmas. I yeah, my daughter is still scandalized by my war against Elf on the Shelf because she's convinced it's like a real tradition. You know, she tried to yeah, tell me about yeah, yeah. the history of it and stuff, and I'm like, get out of here. I like Christmas, but I do think it's a time that lends itself to sadness for a reason. You know, like I yeah. don't think people are being irrational when they get bummed out. You know, and I think there's a lot of different reasons for that. I think for me, Doug, a realization I had recently is that this story I've told myself about my Christmases and something about the anxiety I felt as a kid around Christmas being related to the holiday itself. Only recently did I come to the realization that I was actually describing ADHD symptoms that like I was so jacked up on dopamine leading up to Christmas that of course I got depressed on Christmas and after because like I was no longer jacked up on the dopamine of like, I'm going to get presents. It's like I got the presents, but then my brain was like so worn out from me being, you know, excited about it for so long that then I just went into like a, a doom spiral and I was like, fuck, I didn't. In my head, I had made this about some sort of essentialist view of what Christmas is. Like, Christmas is inevitably about disappointment or some shit like that, right? Sure. But, like, yeah, I guess. But also, I was just dealing with my weird brain chemistry. And I, when I realized that, it was it was pretty deflating for me, Doug, to realize that's what was going on. So It, it was deflating to find out that the reason that you felt that way? Shouldn't that have been – I mean, I'm just uh, throwing it out there. Shouldn't that have been actually kind of enlightening and kind of it's, it? It must be nice to understand why no, you're what, feeling what, down. Who, who finds understanding uh, good? It's not comforting. <laughs> understanding is a cold glass of water thrown in your face. It's it's not a good feeling. No, like life I, is I, a search for knowledge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and, and, and I I I'm of the opinion that when people see. Uh, revelation especially self-revelation as always a positive thing those people are probably very self-deluded it can be positive i'm not saying that i you know i'm joking that it's always a cold glass of water in the face that's not true sometimes it can be positive but oftentimes it's not because you realize all the ways that you have been creating mythology out of things that aren't real or you've been limiting yourself in a way you didn't have to or you have had the opportunity to grow but just didn't realize what was there there's as much disappointment as there is positive and in this case it's disappointing only because i really did like you know make a lot of hay out of a certain view of what christmas is and realizing like uh eh. also i just had shitty brain chemistry that's and that doesn't mean there isn't a cultural reality to like uh promising a kind of consumerist utopia that if we just buy the right shit we'll feel good and then realizing every year that that's not real i'm not saying that's completely Uh bullshit but i put a lot more weight behind it because of my own fucked up brain chemistry whereas in reality it's just mildly interesting that that's what we've done is take this holiday which was by the way always a cultural holiday it's not really a religious holiday at all in any we took this cultural holiday and we injected it with so much capitalism that now now we've kind of mystified the capitalism of it and made it like this hopeful thing that if we just buy you know like even some of these movies that are christmas movies that that are supposed to be about like the spirit of christmas end up still having this like weird present aspect where it's like oh yeah even the hope has to be tied to something you bought you bought the right thing or some shit you know yeah, no, 100%. Anyway, we can't talk about Christmas anymore. No one cares about Christmas. We're well into January at this point. I don't even know. Is Are the 12 days of Christmas over? I have no idea. I, when do they start? They would th- have to start around Christmas, right? <laughs> right. It's been over 12 days, right? Yeah, yeah. And at the time this gets released, well over 12 days. Oh, Liam, that's I, true. We're also on a delay. I forgot. Yeah, we're on a slight delay. And not very long on this one because we ran through our some of our banked episodes yeah, that's leading true. up yeah, to yeah. this. Uh, Liam, of course, I went to Newfoundland to visit my family over uh, the holiday break, and uh, yeah, it was a very nice time, and my sister just recently, as of the recording of this, in the past two days, had a child, um, which is very exciting, and it actually was a little bit dangerous and a little bit scary for a bit there, but the child, Jack, has now uh, arrived in the world, so I'm feeling very positive about that. Don't get me wrong, listeners. 2024 will be bad. It is not going to be a good year. (laughs) (laughs) But it's starting off on a fairly positive note thus far. And speaking of a positive note, Liam, I want to start this episode, however many minutes in we are, by wishing Steve Buscemi a very happy birthday. He had a birthday uh, on December 13th, 2023, his 66th birthday. Liam, when you hear that Steve Buscemi is 66, how does that make you feel? Makes me feel old because I don't – Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, 
he it's not that he feels like he should be that much younger than that but i don't think of him as being that old either you know i kind of think of him as being eternally in his mid 40s and that's not real you know it's interesting now having watched some of his younger roles and that even includes his small role in the movie that we're going to be talking about today where he doesn't look markedly different than he does throughout most of the 90s and it's just really been in the past 15, 20 years or so where, you know, I mean, he's he looks like a man in his 60s, which is what he is. Um, but it, but as in particular, because he's such a distinctive looking actor, I sort of have a vision of like when people think, what does Steve Buscemi look like? They're kind of thinking of him like from that Fargo or Reservoir Dogs, you know, that mid to late 90s era, I think. But he looked pretty much the same right up until the point that he didn't. I think that's fair. I mean, I, I do think that. Younger Steve Buscemi is a little bit more, in my mind, uh, traditionally handsome. He's always looked unique, but mm -hmm. I don't think when people think of him as like the guy who looks weird, which is really dismissive. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that makes a little more sense when he's older. When he's younger, I he's always looked the way he looks, but it has a little bit of a different feel to me when he's a little bit younger. But I don't think when we've seen him in younger roles, and I know that he's significantly younger in those, you know, in his 20s or whatever, he yeah. doesn't necessarily look like a kid, right? Yeah. Like, I don't think you could ever cast him even back then as, like, the young guy or whatever. You know what I mean? In, 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 where his youthful innocence comes across. That's never been the vibe with Steve Buscemi in my mind. Liam, you are partially Puerto Rican. I mean, sure, yeah. That, let's go. How much that. of you, if we had to quantify it in some sort of amount? Well, I'm not really, I'm not really into this race science that you're obsessed sure, with. Sure, you but, know, please. But I'm, I'm a good fifty percent, right? My dad, 50, is, so my dad is Puerto Rican. Yeah. Well, you know who else is Puerto Rican? I mean, I know because where you're going this because of the notes. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, you know, the the leader of the free world, Bad Bunny. You know, the true Renaissance man, um, uh, uh, writer of some. Great songs, I think. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm kind of agnostic on Bad Bunny. I've definitely heard some some hits from my man, and I, so I don't want to write him off. But it's just not my kind of music that much. But he seems cool, Doug. Like he's yeah. done a lot of cool things. I just don't know enough about him to be like a full on like onboard guy. But just even knowing that he seems cool is better than a lot of pop stars for me. You know? Yeah, one hundred percent. So he's some sort of musician. <laughs> oh, I hate you so much. He was Bad Bunny. I think for a while there he was the biggest in the world, right? Like bigger than he's he, he at least on album huge. sales. On album sales, yeah. he was outdoing your Taylors and your Beyonces and whoever else is popular. Yeah. Even Taylor, even the Beyonce, even go the, to hell. Even the Korean like isn't K pop like also huge. Like I think he was even outselling K pop for a while. BTS or whatever that shit. <laughs> We're is. so fucking old. <laughs> it's not even just old, right? It's also like not clued in. Like it's like, yes, yeah. I'm old, but also I don't and I can't pretend that though, because compared to other people that we know our age, you know, I know, I, I know the words to some Lizzo songs. You know, I've I, I would go to the theaters to see the Beyonce tour. Lizzo's movie, out. Know? She's already gone. Oh, I know. I know she's been canceled. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, there are people that when she got canceled, they're like, "Who's this now? Who's yeah, that I person?" Know. Like they don't even yeah. know who she is. Meanwhile, my daughter still asks about her, and I don't have the heart yet to say. Hey, honey, it turns out Lizzo sucks. So your obsession with her is maybe a bit inappropriate. I'm just you like, know, she's you can't six, learn how to play the live. flute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. She can. I don't care. When Bad Bunny started doing some pro wrestling uh, a couple years ago, there were like tons of older pro wrestling fans, because most of the pro wrestling fans are older, who were like, who the fuck is this guy? Who is this? I've never heard of him before. Not realizing that, like you were saying at the time, literally the biggest musician in the entire world. Oh, like a huge get, right? Absolutely. I mean, this is like when, uh, a, a, on a few different tours now, that 100 Gex band has opened up, uh -huh. and everyone's always like, what the fuck is this? Like, these, like, like who, th this must be someone, whatever. And meanwhile, when you look at the actual sales numbers, they always are bigger stars than whoever they're opening for. They just want to open up to find new people, you know? But don't get me wrong, their music is torture music, but the idea that, like, oh, who's the fuck this random band? Like, they don't even mean, I'm like, <laughs> huge, they're a fucking huge huge act what are you talking about like i don't whatever i've seen too many music documentaries about bands that would later become hugely famous opening for other famous bands and getting booed off the stage that are like that such embarrassing things in retrospect right. that i would never well i would never be mad at an opening act anyway um, i mean i might not watch it but i would I'm not gonna pretend that like i'm oh, gonna watch it I, and cheer. oh yeah i bet you would <laughs> 
I am that kind of person, though. Yeah. <laughs> the only kind of music I listen to, Liam, is about not trying things in a small town. What do you think about that? <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> I didn't even get the reference at first, so then I was like, oh, right. God damn it. Uh, Liam, yeah. Mm-hmm. We are talking today about Bad Bunny for a reason, uh, because... Uh, recently, as of the end of October, right around Halloween time, Bad Bunny released a new music video called Batacano, uh, or I should say the music video for his song, Batacano, starring himself and also the wonderful actor Steve Buscemi. And this is a, uh, it's it, most of the articles say it's a Nosferatu-inspired music video, and it absolutely is, but it really is kind of a more widely German expressionist, you know, um, F.W. Murnau-inspired video. There's references to Caligari. There's references to Nosferatu, of course, and also just kind of other films of that ilk and certainly uh, set design as well. What did you think of this music video? Uh, it seemed cool. Um, I like the visuals. <laughs> I like the visuals. I like the references. I like Bad Bunny, on one hand, doing a fairly, you know, uh, standard Nosferatu impression, but still insisting on having a beard. Like, I love that I, that energy that, like, he looks like a weird... I mean, if you're in, you know, uh, what, what is what is his... What is the what is uh, the name, the actual name, though? Of what? You got to be a little more specific. Of the... the of, in Nosferatu, the, the vampire. Oh, Count Orlock? Yeah, thank you. Uh, he's in... Um, He's Literally in, in the notes, by the way. <laughs> oh, sorry, I wasn't even looking at it. My bad. It's okay. Uh, it's okay. He's in this Count Orlock makeup, right? And uh, and yet he still has his cool beard. Like the yeah. idea that he would be like, "Yeah, put the dome on my head, give me the crazy teeth and the crazy ears and the fingers." Uh, no, I can't shave. I can't shave the beard off. I need the beard to be there. But then again, maybe it's like a almost like a funny mocking of himself. I choose to take it that way that he's also like self-aware of that and I, I think that it might cool. be that it, it makes him recognizable as right, Bad Right, exactly. Because right? exactly. it is such a covering makeup otherwise. So I like those references. I like the the skull makeup and even Steve Buscemi, I, I will say the biggest part of it that involves Steve Buscemi is this like speech he gets at the end. The mm. talking at the end of a music video is the worst thing in the world to me. Like I hate that. <laughs> I only am willing to accept it because it's Steve Buscemi and we're doing this podcast. But the whole thing where it's like, there's more plot at the end of the video. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Just, I, I, we've talked about this before. I don't think music videos are that cool. I've never been that into them. I like music videos, Liam. I'm kind of meh on them. If you're going to do a video, I prefer something that's a little bit more abstract. I don't like their having to be plot at the beginning and the end of a video. I know that puts me in a space where I don't like thriller that much, but I think if thriller is like a short film, so I kind of suffer it in that sense. But you know, yeah. But the idea that like the idea that like the best thing on in a format that I'm used to music videos in, which is like you just watch it in a line of other stuff that you need to have like a whole fucking speech at the end of the video. I mean, granted, I get it. It's not that long, but I think in the context, if I was a bad bunny fan and I was, so this came up, I, I would be fast forwarding to the end. I don't think I would sit through the end where Steve Buscemi is doing his, his little bit. And also it is funny to me just as a nerd. Cause I'm like, is is he both Nosferatu and Frankenstein? Cause it's like yeah. the, he's very much sending him out into the world, which is not the character of, Count Orlock, but that's fine. It doesn't matter that much, you know. Yeah, Steve Buscemi plays like a doctor who revives yeah. the Nosferatu Count Orlock character, and so yeah, it's kind of like this mix of um, Frankenstein and, of course, Dracula, which Nosferatu is obviously directly uh, adapting. Even got sued right. for it. Yeah, uh, and and also other visuals as well. It's fine. It's. I don't think I have as much of an issue with that kind of structure of a music video these days, which when otherwise I might, simply because no one's watching this on TV, right? Yeah, it's that's fair. Very, I, I was thinking that as I was saying around. it. Yeah, yeah. But I. that's the thing, though, is I don't watch music videos anymore. I watched them on TV back in the day because streaming doesn't exist, and I didn't listen to the radio. So if I <laughs> wanted to hear a song and I was flipping through and I saw it on MTV, I'd be like, oh, shit, I'll watch this video to hear this song. But like... Now that I can just hear any song I want on streaming, I don't yeah. know why I want a music video. I don't know. It's, I don't know. I, I, I should I should be less negative on them, but in my yeah, brain, they feel be. weird. Think of them like a short film. That's all. Think of it like that. And some of them, some of them, I believe, okay, can function that way, but then they don't often work as a video. Yeah. Right. Because oh, I. Shit. Whatever. <laughs> Liam, while I was in Newfoundland during the holiday break, sure. 
uh, I was I was in a lot of cars uh, driving long distances, and people listened to the radio all the time. It was the most I've listened to the radio literally in a decade in a very compressed time. The radio is awful, man. Especially oh yeah, radio in Newfoundland. They're, they're still playing the same songs that were they were playing in the mid nineties. Why are people listening to the radio, Liam? I don't get it. Well, I mean. Do they have access to other things there? I don't. Of I don't want to. I don't want to insult where you're from, you know. But I don't I, know. Like, are they still driving steam, steam cars there? They don't even have gas, right? So, feels horse feels and buggy. Pointed. You know, feels like you're making a little. <laughs> <reference>. <laughs> no, no, no. I I assume when people are listening to terrestrial radio, it's because they have limited access to other options, right? Like, so for some people, they're not stoked on streaming because they don't want to pay for. It just seems like a cost. They don't want to spend, Just or they don't. Download a fucking playlist, whatever. It's easy. I I got Spotify. Okay, but aren't, but it's aren't... bad. Like you know, Spotify is bad for artists and stuff. But I still have it. <laughs> oh no, I use Spotify. This this isn't about me being above Spotify. And and like I get it. Like I do think Spotify is bad for artists. But I think a lot of the people who complain about that aren't thinking about the actual cost of something that would be good for artists. You know, and the number of people I know who do this whole like. I'm above Spotify thing, but then don't buy physical media. And I'm like, bro, buy a record. You know, like if you really care about this that much, then buy band merch, buy a record, buy whatever. The idea that like it's better, especially like knowing how fucked Bandcamp is now and sure, like yeah, yeah. the abuse of employees at Bandcamp. I'm like, don't get on a high horse with me because you use Bandcamp. Like, get out of here. Like, whatever. Anyways, I don't want to get on a whole rant about that. <laughs> I assume when someone's using terrestrial radio, it's because they're being cheap. And maybe that's not it. Maybe they just enjoy terrestrial radio, but I don't know. I just don't know anyone who uses it because they prefer it to more personalized options. I think they use it because they're cranky and they don't want to buy. They don't want to buy something that they could use other technology with. I was in a, a hybrid vehicle that had Bluetooth built into it, so I could easily have synced my phone or any phone that was in there, and we could listen to music of our choice. Like in this case, they wanted to listen to Christmas music, right? Now, most Christmas music, I think we've talked about this several times, is terrible, and just not fun or interesting, or you're sick of it. But you could find a good collection of Christmas songs that all the ones you like, and ones recommended as well, put that on a playlist, don't have to worry about ads, don't have to worry about the incessant terrible ones. You could just have good stuff that everyone is enjoying. They choose not to do it, Liam, and it was driving me up the wall. I hear what you're saying. I will say I am less sensitive to terrible Christmas music now than I was when I was younger because I haven't worked a retail job. Like, for me, I've actually always enjoyed Christmas music. It was only once I started working retail jobs and those songs were fucking pounded into my skull that I started to be like, oh, Christmas music, fuck Christmas music. This year... I, I tried out a bunch of people's like alternative Christmas playlists, and uh, I missed some of the corny songs. Like I really think if I was going to make my own list, sure, I'd put in some of the weird, fun stuff that other people sure. like, but I'd sprinkle in the occasional bullshit traditional Christmas song because I don't hear them as much anymore. I'm not in places where they're like blasted at me 24-7. I think that's totally fair. I just don't. I don't need to hear. Do they know it's Christmas and all that sort of shit? Okay, like, that's true. Times. I don't. I don't like. Do they know? Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's actually a shit. But like some of the older, older stuff. I there's a certain kind of like corny '50s, '60s song that has become. It's so outside my realm that hearing it for a couple weeks. I'm also not someone who's putting on Christmas music before Thanksgiving. Like for me, Christmas music is like a few weeks leading up to Christmas. I can hear your bullshit, and then after Christmas, it's gone. Right. I think for other people, they're hearing it in October. They want to kill themselves, and I get it, you know? Listeners, can you tell that Liam and I have not talked for a little bit? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're just chatting, and it has nothing to do. Uh, Hey, this video was pretty cool, I guess. All right, can we move on? Liam, I've got – yeah, we can. You are a co-host of this fucking show, you know. (laughs) I know. I just let you run the ship, though. I'm just here to chill, you know. Liam, I have some unfortunate news for Buscemi fans, which is that uh, recently, uh, as of November 22nd, 2023, TBS has canceled – the television show Miracle Workers after its fourth season. Uh, I will say that uh, this article, which is from winteriscoming.net, is very much like, this should not come as a surprise because no one talks about it. No one even knew it existed. And yet it has been canceled. But you watched a bit of Miracle Workers. It's something we've talked about on the show before. I was kind of meaning to watch the fourth season, which took place in like a post-apocalyptic Mad Max-inspired universe. And I probably still will. Uh, but yeah, are you uh, upset about Miracle Workers starring Daniel Radcliffe no longer... Being on television. 
I'm not, but I'm suspecting that if I actually go back and watch more of it than I did, maybe I will be frustrated that it's off because I suspect it's actually better than I think it is. Um, as we've said before, uh, I've, I only watched season one and I thought it was fine. I liked it, but I wasn't like in love with it, you know, but I don't know. Maybe these other seasons are good. If they did four seasons and they're all just kind of okay, then I'll be more amazed that this shit lasted so long. But whatever, it, it is what it is. I like the idea that it has that that uh, format where every season is like a whole different setting, right? A whole different totally. story. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, the yeah. first season was Steve Buscemi playing God and Daniel Radcliffe as an office worker. And in the second season, Daniel Radcliffe was a prince and Buscemi was a shit shoveler in the Dark Ages. Season three, it was the Old West. And season four was that post-apocalyptic Mad Max. You know what? I, I probably will check it out at one point. I'll add it to the list, as they say, Liam. Yeah, sure. That's fine. Liam, let's end with some really exciting news. Yeah. <laughs> Polaris PR CEO Stacey Wolf retires. Alana Cass takes over the client list that includes Steve Buscemi, Tim Roth, Alan and Albert Hughes, Gordon Ramsay, David Copperfield, <laughs> uh-oh, Gary Sidis, and more. I said, uh-oh, because, of course, David Copperfield. I believe he appeared on the Epstein list. Is that correct, uh, Liam? Oh, I don't know. I haven't heard anything. What do you think about that, that Epstein list? Whatever, man. I don't know. <laughs> you don't care? It's not that I don't care. It's that it doesn't seem to be – there was lead up to it that people seemed to think it was going to like destroy the world. Sure. And then now it, no one's talking about it. And my assumption is that it was way more redacted than people thought it would be is my guess. Because my, also just my like, suspicion is more people would be on it than what we saw, you know. Yeah, and like a list doesn't tell you the gross shit people were up to. Yeah, you could right, you could right. you could dismiss it if you wanted, or you could tie it into things. It's like, oh, it confirms exactly exactly what we thought about Bill Clinton. But then you see someone like uh, Stephen Hawking on it. It's like, what's he all about? Is he a gross old creep? <laughs> no, he's dead, Liam. Right, but I, you know, is it possible that he was a gross old creep? Yes, it's, it's very possible. Actually, I don't know. I, I, I am unaware personally of what he was about in the world. Well, anyway, this is about uh, the uh, public relations uh, company Polaris, where the CEO retired, and now someone else is taking over the PR work for uh, Steve Buscemi. Liam, that's exciting. Sure. Liam, we're here today to talk about a movie called Vibes from the year 1988. Now, before we started recording, um, you had mentioned that this was a movie that, that you thought you had not seen, but once you started watching it, you realized that you had seen it, in fact, many times before. How did this come about? I don't know. I, I guess I just caught it on cable and never realized what the name of the movie was. I probably should have picked it up from this poster, you know? Yeah, uh, the fact that it stars Sidney Lauper and Jeff Goldblum is probably a little bit of a giveaway. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. It's just one of those things. I mean, I I even put this in my letterbox review that I think we live in a world now where because there isn't basic cable anymore mm -hmm. that people won't have this experience of being like, Oh, vibes. No, I don't know what that is. And then starting it and being like, oh, shit. Yes, I do. I don't know. I For some reason, it just didn't occur to me before I started watching it that maybe this was something I had seen. And it starts up and I'm like, meh, meh, meh. But as soon as I saw the scene with Jeff Goldblum, which is very early on, so I shouldn't say it took me that long. When he's touching the knives and he yeah. – that joke. I immediately knew that – it's not really a joke, I guess, but that moment. I knew that as well. But there were also – elements that I didn't recognize. So my guess is that I've never sat and watched it all the way through, but I've seen moments of it on TV a few different times. Right, which is an experience, by the way, that was very common for those who grew up in the 80s and 90s, where you would just see parts of movies. Yeah. And then, and also later you would sometimes think, and in fact, we've talked about this on the show before, oh yeah, I've seen that movie. And then you watch it and it's like you've seen like sections of it or you saw an edited for television version where it had a right. bunch of stuff cut out. It just is a lot of stuff ends up unfamiliar. I, I think I've noticed that with a phenomena is the, uh, the big fight in uh, big trouble in little China where Kurt Russell gets hit on the head and he's sure. knocked out yeah, yeah, for yeah. most of it, you know, and then he wakes up. I know people who know that scene, not just from cable, but also like it, it playing in bars or being part of intros to other sort of film things. Right, right. And then they just hadn't sat down to watch the whole movie. But they were like, oh, yeah, that scene. I know that scene. You know, I think that is less common now than it once was. And I, I assume that's because of cable. But maybe it's also because um, people are less likely to do to see like mix up. Like one of the things I remember seeing on a regular basis in different social environments was, hey, I've cut together a bunch of scenes from different movies. 
right. and we're just going to have it playing at this bar or at this club or as part of an introduction to something else. And I don't know that that happens as much anymore, and I don't know what that is about or why that's a thing, but I know that talking to younger people, they are less likely to have that experience than I have had, where I'm just like, I am familiar with parts of this movie, I have never watched this whole movie, and I don't know what the whole plot of this movie is. Yeah, though you would think things like, you know, TikToks, which have sections of movies and YouTube clips and things like that, that it would still be an experience that is shared just in a very different kind of form. Yeah, maybe. I, know that, I don't like, know. Like Jill sees things on TikTok where like like a clip from a movie, and she'll come to me. It's like, "Have you ever heard of this movie?" And I'll be like, "Yeah, honey, it was like the biggest movie of last year." <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't. The only clips. This is this is probably just a a result of my algorithm. The only clips of movies I see on TikTok are fight scenes from uh, Hong Kong movies. I probably don't know, <laughs> and I'll be like, "Ooh, that looks good," and I'll put that movie on the list. But that's it. I don't really see any other movie clips on TikTok. <laughs> Living in 2024 is just making lists of things that you intend to check out at some point and then right. never yes. checking them out. Exactly, yeah. Let's take a break. We're going to put our hands on our hands and feel the vibes right after this. Put your hands on mine and I will take total control of your mind. Picture, if you will, a man. He's tall, dark, and psychic. Someone's had sex on this table. She's a small, medium, at large. I've been told that before. Then they never call. He's got a way with a mystery. Nick, it's not what you think. Another man has been holding these panties. You know, I can tell. She's got a way with words. I love the way you talk. You probably also say penis. For your consideration, can these psyched up psychics... Screw you! No, thanks. Find the ultimate source of power in the universe. I had that guy eating out of my hand. Literally. Look! There's still melons! Before... They're both psyched out. You're so gifted. Why don't you know already? Cindy Lauper. You know how hard it is to buy goobers when you're out of your body? Jeff Goldblum. Must we spoil what's been a depraved and embarrassing evening? Vibes, the comedy with a feel for adventure. It's it's Norway. Oh, crack you up. <laughs> Vibes, get the feel. Two psychics are hired to find the location of a lost Incan city located somewhere in the Ecuadorian mountains that is said to hide a great treasure. It's 1988's Vibes, directed by Ken Quapis, mostly known for his television work, but also the director, Liam, of Sesame Street Presents Follow That Bird from 1985. That, Liam, was the first movie I remember as a kid being excited about and asking my parents if I could see in a theater. What do you think about that? I mean, I don't think I saw it in the theater, but I did... Uh rent the VHS on a regular basis and watched it many times. The first movie I ever saw in the theater was Return to Oz, uh, which I think was 84 or 83. I think it was 84. So 85 must have been like a real defining year. Anyway, he also directed Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants and 2009's He's Just Not That Into You, as well as Dunstan Checks In, the the, uh, monkey in a hotel movie, Liam. Oh my gosh. So when I saw that he... (laughs) When I saw that he directed Follow That Bird, I'm like, oh shit, maybe I'll be like into this dude because I love follow that bird. At least I loved it as a kid. Right. And then I looked at the rest of this list. I'm like, I don't know what most of this shit is other than he's just not that into you. Like everything else on this list. I don't even know what it is. You know, I, I kind of remember sisterhood of the traveling pants. Maybe, you know, the beautician and the beast with Fran Drescher. No idea. Literally no idea. And he's just not that into you. I can only remember as like a punchline to people making jokes about movies. So I don't even know what that is. He also, uh, it's listed on his Wikipedia at least, is making a producing a movie about the Shags, the uh, the famously terrible musical group. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting anyway. This movie was uh, written by Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel, a very, very popular screenwriting team in the 1980s and 90s in particular. They actually were nominated for an Oscar for the screenplay for Splash and also wrote Night Shift. So they were connected with Ron Howard, who actually produced this movie. They also did Gung Ho, which is also uh, directed, I believe, by Ron Howard. And that would end up writing Parenthood, City Slickers, A League of Their Own, um, Forget Paris, Ed TV. The animated movie Robots. I mean, really a very, very uh, successful screenwriting group, Liam. So we should have high expectations when you combine all of this talent with a cast that includes Cindy Lauper making really her feature debut, like a full-length movie debut. Jeff Goldblum, the late Julian Sands is here. Peter Falk is here playing a very kind of, kind of a sleazy role. Uh, we have Michael Lerner, Elizabeth Pena. 
Lots of familiar faces all over the place, including Steve Buscemi as Fred, who we'll talk about in just a little bit. Liam, this was a revisit for you in, to, in a form uh, after things started to become uh, uh, familiar to you when you started watching it. What did you think of 1988's Vibes? I mean, I wanted nostalgia to carry me through, especially because <laughs> I fucking love Jeff Goldblum. Um, I There's just something about his... his a way of being that just makes me happy. He's very Jeff Goldblumy in this, by the way. Like this is Which, peak, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking love it. That's great. Um, I'm not as in love with Cindy Lauper per se. I like some of the music as a per, as like a a, a per personality, which I think is what she's doing here. Right? She's not trying to play just a character. A lot of like who this character is is based off of her public persona, right? And uh, I want to find that charming. I'm not as I'm not as into that. Um, I want because of nostalgia to be stoked on this, you know. Uh -huh. uh, and there are moments <laughs> that I do think are fun and funny. Like I'm not gonna pretend that the whole thing is terrible. Uh, but I think what carries me through finishing this movie in good spirits <laughs> is because of nostalgia, because so much of it is familiar. But as a whole, it's pretty stupid. A lot of it just is silly to the point of being distracting. And while I could remember large portions of this movie, just gags from this movie were very familiar to me, um, to the point of even knowing some of the lines when the woman appears to be seducing him but is actually sent to kill him, I knew that whole sequence. you know. And, and I even remembered that I knew her from... Maybe Jacob's Ladder. Isn't she in Jacob's Ladder? I think. The, yes. That Elizabeth Pena yeah. yeah, yeah, is yeah, yeah. the uh, female. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there was all this stuff that I was like, I could hold on to. For some <laughs> reason, I had utterly missed how deeply racist this movie is. This the, There's such a vibe of like mysterious indigenous people in this movie, even to the point of Cindy Lauper's character doing a fake indigenous language thing that is really gross. Mm -hmm. Uh I had missed all of that as a kid, Doug, and it was so present to me on this viewing that a lot of my nostalgia for this movie was fucking ruined. I wanted to be so joyful coming into this recording being like, Doug, I know this movie and I've seen it so many times and I'm so stoked <laughs> on it. And, oh, man. Googie Gress as Ingu in this movie. I'm so about it. <laughs> Give me all of that shit. I love it. This is so Liam, great. Liam, it golden childed you. <laughs> it totally golden child. Oh, my God. You stole my, my point before I got there. This is another golden child experience because I, for, I don't. Not everyone has heard the story, so I'll make it. But I'll make it very brief. I made a list of movies that were important to me as a kid, and I gave it to my wife, and I said, "When I'm not around, and you're going to put a movie on, maybe check these movies out, or we can watch them together." And so one time when I was away, Sue's put on the Golden Child, and then didn't know how to tell me that it was terrible and racist, and I was like, "Wait, what?" And then I rewatched it. Was like, "Oh no, she's right. The Golden Child sucks." <laughs> well, this is, I don't think this is actually as can I actually say this is not quite as bad as the gold child I'll oh it's not it even that. close look the fact is yes there's definitely this this is a racist movie because it doesn't care about Ecuador whatsoever it's just no. in the background it, it the people of Ecuador it does not matter they're just you know they they are just color to add to anything it could be animals well, and anywhere else in the world and a major plot point is that these whoever these ancient peoples were, they were smart enough to build whatever it is that they're trying to get. But also, the movie describes them as uh, filthy savages, and yes. that's not uh, exaggeration. The line, the words "filthy savages" appears multiple times in this movie. It's like, well, they were savage. They they, they were smart enough to make this thing that you guys are killing your ch each other to get, but they weren't worth respecting as human beings. Okay, but it's not like a. It's not like the basis of the movie. Whereas. I, I kind of think Golden Child is like really fucked in that way. So it's it's not that bad. But it is there and it was more Doug that I just forgot. Like I guess as a kid I just didn't notice that sort of shit. And I remember thinking this movie's pretty fun and it's it's only a little fun. It's only bits of fun here and there. It has it has hints of fun and it's not really that fun overall. Now, unlike yourself, Liam, this is my first time watching Vibes. I actually 
I, I'm sure I've seen the video box in like a video sure. store. Yeah, 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 yeah. But this is not a movie that I'd ever seen or really ever heard of. I don't hear people talking about it very often, which is odd because like its pedigree, as we mentioned, like the writers were very big in the 80s and 90s. You got uh, Richard Edlund doing the special effects for it, who was just coming off of Ghostbusters. You got uh, James Horner doing the soundtrack for it. You know, you got this cast that's very full of well-known and familiar actors. I was surprised up until when I watched it, which is isn't to say that I hated it or, or even that I had a bad time watching it. I was just always waiting for it to kick into the next gear, and it really yeah. never does. Yeah. Um, it was described, you'll find this on the Wikipedia and on the IMDb trivia, as romancing the Ghostbusters and the Temple of Doom. So the idea is you're combining uh, Indiana Jones and Ghostbusters and romancing the stone all together into one movie. And you read that and you're like, that could be really interesting, but that is not what this movie is. Mm-hmm. You do have kind of the comedic element because of the interplay well, between you Jeff know, Goldblum. I will say it does have a Temple of Doom vibe. I'll give it, it definitely that. does. It yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. does. Right? And of course, Romancing the Stone was just a ripoff. I mean, I, I, that's a kind way of saying it, it was a ripoff of, of uh, the Indiana Jones movies anyway. But this movie doesn't really have action scenes in it. There's no action in the movie. None. And that is weird, Liam. I was wondering. I kept waiting. It's like, when's it going to have the big action scene? So instead of that, it's all about the MacGuffin. It's all about getting to the MacGuffin area. And they don't even really start heading towards it until an hour in. So it's the pacing is all over the place for me. I really had a difficulty with the pacing. I think that's true. I think in place of action, it has a couple of scenes that really are slapstick. You know, Jeff Goldblum almost getting stabbed and, and... unintentionally throwing a woman off a balcony yeah. or Jeff Goldblum knocking out apparently the ambassador from Spain. All these moments that might trick someone into thinking that they are action moments are really just slapstick. Even when Jeff Goldblum manages to get the machine gun from the Carl yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, again, slapstick. There is nothing here that actually would count as a extended action scene. And... I think it suffers for that. It also, I think, relies, you know, you know, respect to the memory of Peter Falk. He is still one of the consistent sources of comedy in this movie, and I don't know that he can carry the whole movie. That's not to say that everything he does is bad. Some of it's really, really good, but they, I think, put too much on him to really carry moments that don't have any other jokes and I don't think it works for the whole movie. Peter Fox's character is like a sleazy con artist in it yeah. and it's supposed to be endearing and likable but he comes off as being you know sleazy in a way that sometimes is unpleasant. Now I love Peter Fox and I, just like everybody else I've, I've been hugely into Columbo over the last few years but it's just it, that's a character that you know you put Danny DeVito in it like he was in the Romancing the Stone and yeah. that works a little bit better. Peter Falk, you just you never really get a read on the character, and the idea is that when something bad happens to him, spoiler alert, that you're supposed to be like, oh shit, he's gone, right? But he was just as likely as anyone else to uh, to turn on the, the main to character, right? Them. Yeah, 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 yeah I mean, absolutely. Well, I, I think we're supposed to get the idea that he's a scumbag with a heart of gold, but we never got to that heart of gold. He just lies to them the whole time and dies, and it's never clear, like. Why do they care that he's dying? Like, what is the... Not that they should be happy that he's dying. He's not, like, a terrible, terrible person. Sure. But there's no... He's not given the moment to have the charm unless we know he's Peter Falk. Unless we know... Like, I get that, like, we as an audience are charmed by him because he's Peter Falk. But those characters aren't given any reason to care about him, really. You know? So the psychic aspect is kind of central to this. Jeff Goldblum's character, Nick Deasy, he can touch items and kind of trace back their history, who's touched them, who made them, all sort of th- things like that. Cindy Lauper has the ability to uh, to speak to a specific dead person who also is able to give her uh, information about the future. So she can look into the future by asking a spiritual person. She can also... Um, kind of transcendentally meditate herself. What's it called? Astro project. She can do that as well. And there's other, you know, there's other, in the world of this movie, um, psychics work (laughs) a lot more kind of uh, directly than they do in our world where they don't work at all. So what did you think of that? The psychic aspect of this movie? I mean, it's, it was fine, I guess. I don't know. I thought there'd be more special effects as well. Yeah, you know, gonna, yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah, goes yeah. like it's like it doesn't have the action of Indiana Jones. Has almost no special effects for the entire movie. All it is is like uh, a glowing 
around people, like glowing. Like right. we have the, yeah. the, the 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 thing that they're aiming for, and when people touch it, it makes them glow. But there's no like big special effects stuff as well. Maybe it's because it's budgetary more than anything else, but just seems odd. It feels like the movie, like they didn't write the stuff that they needed to have into the script. Well, yeah, it feels like too. If it in this era, some special effects are needed just to compete with other movies that this movie is going to be compared to. Sure, right? like yeah, yeah. It it is a movie that relies a lot on honestly, uh, character uh, chemistry, right? Like yeah. this is a movie that's just about Jeff Goldblum and and Cindy Lauper and and will they won't they and I actually do like their chemistry. Like I'm not gonna write that off completely. But it can't carry the whole movie. There's not enough of it to carry the whole movie. And the part, the other parts of the movie that are supposed to be there when it's not just about them are nothing. There's no, there's no lead up really to what this fucking temple is. When we get to the city, it's not clear why we should care about it. Even the thing itself, it's a source of immense psychic power. What the fuck does that mean? It's just a glowing triangle. What is it? What is at stake in the glowing triangle, Doug? Like it's not it's never clear to me that also, they have built this world enough for us to care about it. Was Julian Sands like the whole all the stuff at the beginning was just him trying to find psychics for them? Like why does he even need a psychic to do what he's doing? Well, cuz I think the difference is what we're supposed to understand is that Julian Sands knows what it is the whole time. Peter Falk thinks it's a room full of gold shit. Yeah, the yeah, other yeah. people who are affected by it think it's a room full of gold shit. Julian Sands knows what it is. Only that moment is supposed to be a big revelation and it's so underplayed because the movie's more interested, I think, in the fact that Julian Sands and Cindy Lauper might fuck than it is that Julian Sands is using them as psychics, almost as like blood dog or bloodhounds to get him to this location. But that's so underplayed. You have to do a lot of work to get there as an audience member to understand exactly what's going on and why he's there. You know, because like when Michael Lerner and the other guy at the very beginning of the movie, like the very first scene, they find it. Neither of them were psychic. They were led there by somebody. So people must, I don't know. I, it, it doesn't hold together as a plot, and there's no real adventure element. So it's just basically waiting to get to the end part so we can find out what happens. So you're right. It's very reliant on that chemistry. Like yourself, I like the chemistry between Cindy Lauper and Jeff yeah. Goldblum, despite the fact that apparently they did not like each other on set, which must be really difficult when you have to play these kind of roles where you're supposed to kind of have this growing attraction and obsession with one another uh, and have a big kind of romantic moment at the end when you just literally do not... Do not like each other. Also, Cindy Lauper is so small, and Jeff Goldblum is so large. <laughs> I know that's strange, but in this movie, it's very pronounced. I was never aware of how small she was till this movie, really. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so much of her energy is big, and she covers herself in all these bangles and doodads and whatever. Sure. I just didn't realize that she is a wee little person. She's and she's tiniest. literally carried by people several times in this movie. Right. It's it's really emphasized in this movie that she's she's very small. What did you think of her just as an actress generally? I know you mentioned it a little bit, but like this, this is she's got to semi carry this movie, and she's up against someone who is an established, you know, well known actor even at that time, like Jeff Goldblum. What did you think? I mean, you could criticize her performance for just she's being Cindy Lauper. This is just a movie that has Cindy Lauper in it, really. Not that Cindy Lauper's a psychic, but just the characterization of the psychic is a version of her persona. But yeah. uh. But this is a movie with Jeff Goldblum, Doug, who is also just – I mean, I don't want to accuse Jeff Goldblum of not acting. He can act, but any character he does is going to have different versions of his mannerisms. And so, like, you know, okay, they're both doing that. I, I, You could say that the Jeff Goldblum of it all has more possibilities. You know what I mean? Like, he's been able to use his unique way of speaking and being in the world in a broader variety than Cindy Lauper, right? So perhaps that is worth noting in some way. And and uh, I certainly find him more charming than her in some ways. But they're also both doing something that is uniquely them. So yeah. I'm not that negative on, on her performance. And I do think that while you could say that what she's doing isn't necessarily acting in the sense of transformation um, – She's still a tool that a director could utilize in a way that would be really great, right? I think she could be perfect in a lot of different things. 
I don't know that she's the best in this role per se, but I don't think she's bad either. I think it works. And in a few places, it works really well. Um, we're not talking about him yet, but the scenes with Steve Buscemi are very short, but it's kind of heartbreaking, right? I think I believe her in that moment in a way that maybe kind of, you know, it, it works for the movie for what it is. Um, but do I think that she can carry the whole movie? No, but I'm not sure that Jeff Goldblum can either. In fact, if if you could say that really the movie is about her and Jeff Goldblum and then for a while Peter Falk, you can't just base the whole movie around them without a script that really is like killer. And this script is not killer. It's fine, but it's not. It's not enough to right. make this movie work. She's not distracting in 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 her performance. I don't think. I mean, outside sure. of how she's supposed to be, right? Yeah, you're right. It's not a big stretch, but she, this is uh, you know a, for a first role like this, it probably shouldn't be a, a big stretch. And I think she's perfectly fine in it. Now, this movie was developed for Dan Aykroyd to star in the Jeff Goldblum role. He he ended up uh, dropping out. I think when Cindy Lauper was cast. Do you think that this kind of movie is better suited for his talents? Of course, it would be even more compared. I think to Ghostbusters then. This is a controversial take. I think that Dan Aykroyd needs other people to be good. Mm. Like, I think he, I don't really think that he could carry this unless there was some other uh, force for him to bounce off of in a way. And I don't see that in either Cindy Lauper or Peter Falk. I think it, this would actually be a worse movie with him in it, which is not meant as a strong dig on him. I just think there are people who think he is. He, that he's great on his own, and I don't think that that's true. You're right in that I can't think of any great lead Dan Aykroyd performances offhand that where he's not paired with another strong personality, right? Whether it be the Blues Brothers or Ghostbusters or My Stepmother is an Alien. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's something I'm not thinking of, but it's maybe if he was really paired with another strong female character that wasn't Cindy Lauper, it's just hard to imagine. Dan Aykroyd and Cindy Lauper having like a romantic, I mean, even though I, I, you know it's not beyond the realm of possibility, but in, in the terms of having even the chemistry of Jeff Goldblum and Cindy Lauper, right? It would almost have to be a different character. Yeah, and I just don't i I can't think of a Dan Aykroyd performance where he is charmingly sexy, like Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> It's just that's to me that just works for him, you know. And even the idea, like I think. I don't know if you remember this, but not that long ago, there was a, a, a brief effort to maybe cancel Jeff Goldblum a I bit. remember it very well. I think about it every time I, I think about Jeff Goldblum. Did it did that even come across? Like was what was the accusation that he's a a sex pest or something? Like I don't it was, know. It was within the realm of Me Too where it's just like, well, his reckoning will be coming as well. And then a few people followed up with like, yeah, no, I've heard things as well, and then nothing came of it. I believe that what came across was that he fucks. And I don't know if people know this, but yes, that's his public person. Like it, the revelation that, you know, Jeff Goldblum fucks is like, isn't that what people were hoping for in the first? Uh, unless that's followed by fucks underage people or fucks people for, you know, favors that are, are unfair, you know, like a, like a, like a, like a, you know, you can get into a movie if you fuck, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, his current wife is 30 years younger than him and a gymnast. <laughs> I mean, I, I, if she was 30 years younger when he was right. like, you know, 50, maybe then that would be like, oh yeah, maybe that dude's fucked up. But like, as far as I know, she's 30 years younger than him and they got together when he was like, you know, 60 you know like i just think like it would be really it's really hard i think to besmirch someone like jeff goldblum for simply being a guy who likes women because that's part of the appeal i thought of him as a as a dude right like it's not clear to me that he did anything bad other than you know it's kind of like uh there's rumors about other people that we both enjoy that they might be in some way horny dudes. And unless the they're horny for underage people or that they use their horniness for like, like this is a, they use their power to assuage their horniness. I'm not moved by just the idea that they fuck, right? Unless their image is that they don't fuck. Like if, Oh, this guy's a conservative politician who thinks that sex is bad. And turns out they fuck. Okay, we th that's hey, you know, we can work with that, right? But, you know, oh, you know, Jeff Goblin gets around. 
okay, he gets around. What is your point? That in and of itself isn't going to move me unless there's some power uh, dynamic that makes me feel like he's abusive in some way. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I think we have to be a little careful on how we talk about it because if it's, be, you know, we don't know what these accusations are. And it oh, could they be could be terrible. I'm not. I'm is, not writing yeah. it off. It's just not clear to me yet that yes. there's been anything more than, you know, he likes to fuck because that in and of itself doesn't work unless it has led to something gross. He's abusive. He doesn't take people's boundaries seriously. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's plenty of scenarios where he could be gross. But I would I just assume I'd have heard something by now, but maybe maybe I'm being a bit naive that maybe Jeff Goldblum really does have the power to squash whatever accus- accusations would make it clear that he sucks. You know? I remember the first time I watched The Fly and the parts where he gets basically naked and you you realize that this very tall man is also incredibly well built. Like yeah. he has this amazing yeah. body as well. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If if there was a rumor that bad buddy fucks, no one would be surprised, right? Like you know what I mean? Like I just think Jeff Goldblum is sexy and, and there is something about that. Now, granted, can sexy people also use their sexiness as a form of power abuse? One hundred fucking percent, right? Especially men. You know, I think it's perhaps in certain scenarios more difficult for women to have the same ability, but you know, I think it's very obvious that men can do that. I just don't know that that in and of itself is enough for me to be like, this dude is not great. You know, I, I don't know. Liam, this is a flawed movie. I still think it's pretty entertaining at times, particularly because it of has fun moments. Yeah, 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 yeah. It definitely. I, I, the Peter Falk talking about the leche meaning milk. Anyway, there, there are things about it I do find pretty amusing. If you needed to fix it to be to be like a gr- a really good or great movie, what does this movie need to to get there? It has not one single exciting set piece in the whole movie. Yeah. And that's that's not necessary per se, but if if it's supposed to be just a quippy fun comedy, it needed more quippiness. Like there there are jokes that work, but enough to make the movie dynamic? No, there's just not enough. The quippiness of this movie is f- a fine filler for an exciting fun adventure movie. There is no adventure in this movie, really. Not not enough to make the movie sort of land, you know? Um, if we wanted it to be some sort of straight comedy, it needed a lot more setups than it has. It's just there's not enough here for it to really work as a full movie. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. It's just, it's just missing, oddly missing, because it seems like it has all the elements that are needed and then they just didn't include them for whatever reason could be budgetary could have, you know, maybe it's because the director wasn't as, as comfortable with action. Generally, it just feels like it doesn't quite hit the mark, but we do get something very unique in this movie. Liam, Steve Buscemi is Fred. <laughs> Fred, <laughs> Fred is Cindy Lauper's, I guess, on again, off again, sleazy boyfriend. Part, part, one of the themes in the movie is that her character has bad taste in men, so they all end up being criminals or pieces of shit or whatever. And Fred is a good example of that. She sees him at the horse track where he is desperate for Cindy Lauper to tap into her psychic ability to give him the, you know, who's going to win the 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 horse races. So, And then, of course, once he does, he just completely blows her off. Um, what do you think of Steve Buscemi in Vibes? I mean, it's fine. The scene works. He he kind of fills that role okay. Um, do I think there's enough of him in it to justify doing a whole episode of our podcast? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But we've already set that precedent with our man Eric Roberts. So yeah. is this is this enough to justify an Eric Roberts episode? Yeah, it is. If this was, you know, him in that role, we would already have done it. You know, it would be fine. Um, but like, it's not a bad role. I think it's fine. I I do think that. Um, It's it's hard to justify him. I'm not sure that Cindy Lauper. It, it makes sense that this Cindy Lauper character, who by the way is a psychic, right? So she has yeah. insights from the other world. Why is she going with Steve Buscemi? Buscemi in this role, right? Like with Julian Sands, I get the vibe that Julian Sands is a hot guy who could get away with some shit, right? Sure. Plus, it's not clear until the you know towards the end that he's an asshole. So I also get the feeling that Julian Sands, whatever. The stupid Shemmy character, though he plays it really well, sucks, right? Like, why is Cindy Lauper putting up with this bullshit again? I, I it's just not clear to me why he's not only has Cindy Lauper wrapped around his finger, but then the woman, the other woman, is to me even hotter than Cindy Lauper. Like, it's just an attractive lady. 
how, what what does Steve Buscemi bring to the table here exactly? Like I think <laughs> I think he's charming in his way, but like the character he's playing is not would have to be super hot to get away with this shit. And while I think Steve Buscemi is very attractive, I don't think he is. The the character he's playing seems more, more of a jerk off than just Steve Buscemi in like Trees Lounge, right? Like this dude really fucking sucks up front, yeah. you know. Uh huh. Yeah, he sure does. I also because they don't they don't go into too much detail about the world in this that this movie exists in where right. psychics like why isn't City Lopper's character rich and famous? Like why is it just right. start off? Being, like, massive... What are the limitations here exactly? You know? Yeah, because like even Jeff Goldblum, it starts with him. He's sort of learning about his abilities, but he clearly has been hired at his job partially because he has those. Like. The, the fact that someone tracks him down so they can help him find a person. We find out later that it's not really about finding a specific person or not the person they were told. But, like, why isn't he solving missing persons, like, crimes all the time? Like, why isn't he helping humanity in well, some I, 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 I think at its heart, this movie, the premise of this movie is, like, an anecdote someone would tell you at a party where you don't have right. time to quiz it, right? As the basis of a script... It just doesn't work, right? But, like, if someone was drunkenly telling you a story at a party, you'd be like, oh, okay, sure. Like, you know this guy, and he could do this thing and whatever. It, it, given time, you you would be like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> what happened? Like, there at least with Cindy Lauper's character, there's an event, right? There's an exciting event. She bonks her head, and now she can interact with uh, – what is the, the spirit's name? Louise? Louise? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Uh, but even that event, right? It's not clear when this event happened. It would have to be relatively recently for the character to work. Has Jeff Goldblum been able to do this his whole life? You know, is Nick? Yeah, is this part of Nick's whole life? Okay, that doesn't quite work, right? Like, I just think his life would be different. But if it happened recently, then that character kind of makes sense. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. I I just think this was a half baked idea. And guess what you need for a half-baked idea? You need a big show. And there's yeah. no big show, man. Yeah. Like I, I think I think you, you could make the case that some other fun action movies of the era are also half-baked ideas, but they have a big show where you don't interrogate the half-baked idea really. I think it is fun to see Steve Buscemi show up in like this small part in this, you know, fairly big budget movie in 1988. Like this is very much of the kind of before they were stars thing, but like literally just a few years from now, you know, we're just a couple years from King of New York and then moving into the early nineties where living in oblivion and reservoir dogs It's just like, this is very much like, Hey, this guy, he's going to be somebody even bigger than some of the other people in this movie. So it's kind of interesting, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't, I, I don't think it carries the movie though, right? Like it's fun. <laughs> but... This movie is is carried somewhat by like the idea that oh, it has this person and this person and this person, and there are familiar faces all the way through. But man, that'll only get you so far. At some point, you need to have something to focus on, and this movie just doesn't have it. I, don't get me wrong. I don't. I'm not going to say the movie is without any charm, and I, I, I know people who think this movie is at least fun, right? I don't. Yeah, I'm not out here being like. Fuck you guys! This movie sucks. It's not at that level. Yeah, I had a good time. I mean, it was it but was fine. I, yeah, and I I did want it to be a bit better than it is. It's just not. It's just okay, and I think that I wanted it to be a little better than just okay. Well, speaking of better than just okay, on the next episode of How Do You Do, Fellow Kids, we're going to be looking at 1994's The Hudsucker Proxy, directed by Joel Cohen, co-directed of course by Ethan Cohen, uncredited, and written by the Cohen brothers and Sam Raimi, starring Tim Robbins, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Paul Newman. Liam, are you familiar with The Hudsucker Proxy? You know I am, and um, uh, it's one of it, it's another movie that I've seen a bunch of times, but uh, I've been inclined to defend it out of nostalgia. But I honestly don't remember if it's actually good or not. If that's fair. It's you know one of the I more mean? con it's one of the more controversial movies in the nineties Coen Brothers catalog simply because they were so consistent and it was a huge flop. It was expensive and it didn't do well. Uh and people I think were a little bit confused by it. And even people who really loved their movies of this time period, right? Because I think this would have been right after Barton Fink. Um they they were just they didn't know what to get they didn't want to know what to make of this kind of Frank Capra inspired comedy. So yeah, I'm I'm ex- I revisited it a few years ago and enjoyed it, but I'm curious about revisiting it again. Um, and after having watched all of the Coen Brothers movies at this point, yeah, in the next episode, the Hudsucker Proxy. I hope you're excited, Liam. I I am actually I am because I I want to know 
I, I just don't I, I don't know what I think of it, right? Because it's been so <laughs> long since I've seen it. Well, we'll know very soon. Liam, if people want to check out more episodes of How Do You Do, Fellow Kids, or other great podcasts, what's the best way for them to do so? Uh, well, they can, of course, head to Cinepunks.com, where our latest episodes are posted, as well as a whole a whole family of podcasts, Doug, that I think are worth your time to check out. Um, they can check out some of our specific shows, exploring the careers of, of all manner of, of uh, actors and directors. Uh, uh, we also do a few other topics, whether that's our uh, new series where we sell out uh, and check out some big big budget recent films or um our series where we explore um the world of genre film festivals uh, all of that's available at cinesmogasport.com and broken into specific topics to make it easier to explore uh we're also on social media whether that's cinepunks is uh cine pnx on a variety of platforms and uh cinema smorgasbord continues to be on X, Twitter, whatever the fuck you want to call it. <laughs> That's at Cinema Smorg, S M O R G. I'm on uh, Blue Sky as well. You can search for Doug Tilly. That's T I L L E U I. And of course, uh, yeah, Cinepunks has a Discord. You can always t- hit up uh, Liam or myself and get an invite to that as well. But for now, Liam, we need to take a little break. We're going to be back very soon with 1994's The Hudsucker Proxy. Good night, everyone. See you later. Tal vez mi música no sea sana, pero yo no me inventé el sexo ni la marihuana. Juana. Ay, 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 ay. ¿Dónde están las bellacas? Que es en la mano. Un perreo más y nos vamos. Polvo discano, llama a tu mai pa' pedirle la mano Ey, estaba en el infierno cuando con una diabla me encontré Estaba vendiendo el alma y de una se la compré Ella está bien rica, la amiga más rica, vámonos los tres Vámonos los tres, sí ¿Dónde estamos? Yo no sé quién tú eres, yo no sé Dios mío, perdóname porque otra vez pequé Estás bellaca, yo lo sé, vamos a chingar Yo lo sé, Dios mío, perdóname Ey, ey, la disco está prendida